We should start with the sad news about John Paramore, I think. Um, a bit of a Trojan of the game, someone everyone recognises, someone you've spent a lot of time with, uh, sadly passed away uh, today. Yeah. And you've written a, a, a piece about him um, for NCG this afternoon, which I'm just looking through now. Through now, It's obviously um, an inc- incredibly kind of kind-hearted, generous bloke. He was certainly very kind with his time with us, wasn't he? Absolutely. And certainly to me, um, when I, I mean, he really was kind of an inspiration for me in getting into the rules of golf because, um, so one, one of the reasons I went on the rules journey was we were, we were being asked or I was being asked to write more and more stuff about the rules. And I was kind of conscious that I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and around that time, uh, I interviewed John for the first time, um, for GCMA magazine, the golf club managers association magazine. And I was grappling in and around the rules. And I kind of mentioned to him that I was looking to go on this journey. Um, But I was struggling because the book is, you know, an incredibly, um, incredibly difficult thing uh, to negotiate if you're just doing it for the first time. And he he said something to me that I always remember, which was start with the definitions. And, And nobody ever does that. You know, they look for they look for a particular rule of golf. You know, whether it's like trying to find a ball or whether it's like out of bounds rule, they go straight to the rule of golf, but they always forget to look at the definition. And actually, it's the definitions from which the rules of golf derive, essentially. So he said to me, start with the definitions. If you understand the definitions, then the rest of the rules of golf will become easier for for me. And it was like I read the definitions that evening, actually, and it was like the door opened. You know, it had been firmly shut. I'd I'd been struggling to get around it. And that simple piece of advice kind of got me on the way, really, and gave me some confidence that I could do it. Because, as I said, I'd said that I just wanted to be more knowledgeable. I felt like if I was writing about the rules, I should know about the rules. So I wanted to go down that path. Of, of learning but I just didn't really know where to start and he happened to be there um, on that initial journey and then I met him obviously a number of times afterwards I worked with him um, quite a bit he was on the NCG podcast he um, he worked with us on a rules of golf series um, which I think we're incredibly proud of I mean he was just massively giving of his time and really kind I, I'm not sure whether he sort of knew he was a mentor to me in that sense I, I didn't tell him that but um he he just gave me a lot of support and he gave me a lot of confidence that I could go up the rules ladder. Do you remember at Swinley? Well, I, I'm not I'm not sure, but I I I certainly played I certainly saw him at Swinley. Um yeah. because I was sat next to him once in dinner. <laughs> and uh, the, uh for those who don't know, the lunch at Swinley Forest is like unbelievable. It's just unbelievable. Maybe the Muirfield one is, is 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 comparable with it, but the lunch at Swinley is like an absolutely incredible thing. It's just a smorgasbord of every delight you could possibly imagine, and you're allowed to really just get stuck into it. And um, so we've all gone to this lunch, and I'm sat next to John, and I'm and as you know, Tom, I am known to talk a bit, and uh, so John's just sat there with his with his lunch while I'm like bending his ear at 100 miles an hour about every simple every subject you could think of and he never once at any point said will you let me will you let me finish my lunch now he was just he was just massively warm and, and giving and attentive and answered always answered all of my questions and I had many 
um, the, ver- the, va- the various times that we met. Uh, and I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll miss bumping into him and being able to bend his ear about some aspect of the rules or ask him about something that happened on tour and get his take on it because there was no one really more knowledgeable in the game than him. So he's on tour for like 40 years, European tour, majors, Ryder Cups. Yeah, 45 years, I think, from um, from the from the start to his retirement. Um, and obviously became chief referee for the European tour. And as you say, Tom, you know, legendary figure at, at majors. And I think that when you watched golf on television, well, I certainly did, you get like a fish on of excitement when John would arrive at the scene of a ruling with his in his cart because you'd think this is going to be like great television um, as much as anything else. And then there's always, I mean, he never tired of talking about it, but there's always the legendary incident with Seve, isn't there, at Valderrama in 94 in the animal hole. And those those kind of things that, that um, and, and that's just one of many. I mean, there's, 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 there's so many examples that we could, that we could go about. But I mean, just what can I say? Just an amazing character, uh, a generous, kind, uh, enormously knowledgeable man. And I'm sure the world of golf, and certainly I will, will miss him greatly. Well said. Um, right. So, what have you been doing with your tailor-made this week? I've read about your fitting piece. It sounds pretty good. Waiting for it to arrive, currently. Um, But um, I'm glad you mentioned the piece, Tom, um, because uh, obviously we talked uh, in some depth last week about tailor-made, who are sponsoring the From the Clubhouse podcast. And I talked about some of the things that I'd gone through um, in my fitting for the Stealth 2 driver. And I've written about that. And that is on nationalclubgolfer.com you can read about this that this week where i reveal some more stats i was very vague on stats last week but all the numbers are in there including my incredible side total trackman number which is just under 23 feet right of target that's seven that yeah it? seven yards seven yards <laughs> right of target that's how good the dispersion was seven yards right of target right so you have but you haven't used this weapon on a course yet no, I'm very excited. But since I haven't, I mean, I'm thinking like I might delay getting on the course until this arrives and then go out there wielding my new tailor-made Stealth 2 like a cricketer, getting ready to smash some sixes out of the pavilion. It'll be very exciting. Brilliant. Um, okay, cool. So this week we were going to talk about um, equal access to tea times like we promised last week. We? we were. We did make promises that we're not going to keep. But we've had a very we had a very special guest lined up for that who's cancelled on us. So we've had to reschedule that for next week. But trust me, it will be worth waiting for. Uh, so instead, we're going to talk about a topic that is we think would be quite close to John's heart, don't we? Well, yes, the, I think so. The, the thought, the thorny issue of slow play. Um, but before we get into that, even I'd quite like to hear about your trip to Woodall. So Steve was down at England Golf yesterday. Um, 
trying to get some questions answered about WHS. Obviously, we've discussed it a lot on this podcast over the last couple of weeks. Steve's written a lot about it this year. Uh, it's raised a lot of debate amongst all of you, lots of questions. Um, so Steve was endeavouring to get some of those questions answered from the game's governing body. Uh, I think they were keen to see you as well, Steve, weren't they? Absolutely. Yeah, it was a, a mutual meeting of minds. So did you get anything interesting for us? Anything you can whet our appetites with? I think that I'll uh, keep my powder dry for the moment. Um, but so I, those who follow me on Twitter um, will know that I asked some questions yesterday about um, people's concerns about the World Handicap system. I put the ones that came up much frequently, most frequently to England Golf's handicapping team. They've answered them. Um, so we'll be in the process of getting some of those out. I also asked them about a variety of topics that I think, I mean, look, I don't think there's any you know, secrecy about what, what I asked about. I asked about interoperability. I asked about the PCC. I asked about some of the uh, arguments around uh, general play scores and whether scores can be manipulated or not. Um, I had a good chat with um, James Luke, who's England Golf's new head of handicapping and course rating, met the whole team. So over the next sort of few weeks, uh, you're going to see lots of stuff and hopefully it will answer some of your questions on WHS. I'm not sure it'll please all of you probably, because I think for some people, there's no pleasing them when it comes to WHS, but but at least, you know, we've. I'm, I'm very grateful to England Golf's handicapping team for sparing an afternoon with me, sitting down with me and going through some of these questions. Um, I think from their part, um, there's a real uh, desire to uh, increase knowledge about WHS and increase people's awareness of it. So they're running, they're currently running a load of handicap workshops for club committees all over the country. I'm hoping that I might be at one next week. Uh, there's one at Ringway, which I think is in like Stockport. So I think it is, yeah. Probably another late night drive, but but um, hopefully I'll be there and I can hear what uh, club officials are saying on the ground about WHS. But they, they are very keen to sort of spread the word um, and try and talk about some of the concerns that people have and some of the aspects of the system that might change in the future as well. Yeah, OK. And anything new coming for us? New? Uh, hmm. Try and tease something out of you. I'm going to be I'm going to keep stum on this okay. think it think of the page views tom i'm thinking of page views yeah <laughs> right so slow play i mean i don't even know we're talking about this because i play really fast so it doesn't really doesn't apply to me everyone thinks they play fast until they <laughs> until they're told otherwise that's part of the problem isn't it so i wrote about an aspect of this yesterday um which was an etiquette piece which you can also read on nationalclubgolf.com and it was about the principle of searching for golf balls. So obviously in the rules of golf in 2019, um, the time that you got to search for a golf of golf ball moved from five minutes to three. And obviously that has had, still has uh, quite a lot of comment because a lot of people don't think that's long enough. Um, some people still think it's too long, but a lot of people don't think that's long enough. And the point I was getting to in the etiquette piece, I see this quite a lot on, on a golf course. I'm sure you do, Tom, as well. Um, where people run out of time and are reluctant to stop looking for their golf ball. And as I said in the piece, you know, I can understand that if you're if you're look if you know if you're if you're wielding particular brands of golf ball, they're expensive. Um, so you really we really want to try and find one, you know, if you're losing them, if they're like four pound fifty a pop, 
Um, so I understand that. I'm, I'm aware of the compulsion to find it, but it does the hunt for balls or the the hunt past three minutes for a ball anyway does cause a lot does cause significant problems i think on a golf course what happens though what in your in your like this is an interesting place to start in your with the people you play golf with do people actually start a stopwatch or what no no i've i've apart from me i've never seen that um i've never seen someone and, and that causes problems in itself i mean i've had to in the past uh rule on well, this person's taken too much time to search for their ball. And the first question I ask is, well, did you time them? Well, no. Yeah. Well, well, how do you know then? Well, be- because it took too long. Well, yeah, but if you're going to if you're going to say that someone has basically broken a rule, you need to have a bit more than, well, I just think it took too long. Even if it did take ages, you need to have some proof of that. As referees, I, I mean, a stopwatch is my best friend. I basically you use it when any player begins a search. I click a stopwatch. Off we go. And then it, 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 there's a couple of reasons why it's really good. For a first, you can keep a player up to date with how with how it's going. Right, we've had a minute and a half. We've had two minutes. So for the player, it gives them some clarity. Right, I've got a minute to find this ball. But it also, as I, as I kind of implied there, removes any shred of doubt or controversy because if you've had three minutes and five you've had three minutes and five you know time over stop don't pass go or you're going to rules trail yeah yeah i mean it's just so much of this stuff and i think this applies to the whole debate which is why i think this is such a good entry point is down to perception and it's down to how you view yourself and how you view others and how you view time even, um, which is why it's sort of a never ending debate, isn't it? So on this three minute thing for a start, like you say, people are sort of loath to give, to give up a £4.50 ball. I think it's more when people are loath to give up a, on a ball that they don't think should be lost. I, oh, yeah, there's, yeah, there's definitely a bit of that. I mean, I think if you hit one off the planet, um, you go yeah. and have a cursory look, don't you? And then you go fine. But yeah, I, I agree entirely. It's the ones that you think you should find but can't um, that are the yeah, ones that really. Hours. And I think, but I think you, I think you playing partners get on board with that as well, where they think, oh, they sort of feel guilty that you can't find it because it's somewhere where everyone thinks you should find it. So this three minutes is like it's just nowhere near hard and fast, is it? And then because it's changed from five minutes to three minutes. Um, and you would imagine that this is the sort of the kind of intention of the rule. They're just trying to bring times down a little bit, aren't they? But no one's looking for a ball for only three minutes, are they? Well, they should. I only look for a ball for three. In fact, I often look for a ball for less than three minutes, but I'm slightly less bothered about it, perhaps, than some are. Um, but I, th- I mean, I think, you know, I can't speak for rules officials, but I think part of the five to three minutes was people are taking seven minutes <laughs> well exactly that's so, what i mean yeah. yeah yeah um so i think that's i think it's an interesting entry point um because people do spend too long hunting for balls right but we all know that people argue about other people um taking too long to play golf um but there's also there's definitely also a group of people who would say that why is it a problem like golf is my leisure time i am out here to have fun so quite frankly the longer it takes the better what do we have to say about those people 
is that a viewpoint that we can well i mean that that viewpoint is definitely there i think when you're playing a prestigious venue that you've paid a lot of money for you know no one wants to run round, do they um if, if you've if you've paid quite a lot of cash to pay play the old course or carnoustie for example no one wants to be i mean they have rangers don't they but no one wants to be chased by the ranger i paid a lot of money i'd quite like to enjoy myself here there's de- i think there's definitely a bit of that um in, in your casual rounds in your club rounds yeah I, I suppose there is some of that it's leisure time it's but then there's also the player isn't there that can't wait to get off the course quick enough oh there absolutely is but that, that i just think we need to acknowledge that there are that for some people like golf is an amble round and a chat. And if you do, if you if you walk in round, I'm in the Lake District at the moment. If I go for a walk round all uh, one of the lakes, whatever I can't think of the name of a lake. If I go for a walk around a lake, no one's timing that and telling me I'm taking too long. I can take as long as I want. Um, and that but then you're but you're not being like, cl- you're not being closely pursued by someone else who wants to be in the same area as you are necessarily. Yeah, but that's accommodated by letting people through, isn't it? Well, like, we, could get, the, we could get into a debate about that, couldn't we? There is. We could, yeah. But there is, there are, there needs to be an acknowledgement that for some people, golf's not a race. I, I absolutely um, agree. I absolutely um, agree, yeah. And then the second thing I think that is important about slow play is that it's proper one man's meat is another man's poison stuff, isn't it? Like, how long is too slow? And that is a people give you very very different answers to that question absolutely I mean, so how long do, how long do you think a round of golf should take for a two ball two ball uh three hours i mean i i've played in i i've played in places where if as a four ball you went more than three and a half hours everyone thought that was too long it, they've where's been that? four hours today that was a disgrace where's that come on it was at my it was at my former club. It was at my former club. But we we as a group tended to play very very fast. So you know three hours, three and a half hours was the norm for that group for why four you, balls. Why do you hate naming the names of courses and stuff so much? Because I I don't like to you know put pressure on people. I like to just di- display an anecdote without necessarily shaming anyone. Well, I listened to some of these podcasts on my drive to Lake District. My wife yesterday, and she said that we should give more of ourselves. I'm you'd giving everything. You want to know the real you. I'm giving everything. This is all I've got. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like, what what do I do for an hour on our podcast? I basically barely let you get an edgeways in. Everyone would say yeah. that's just like me normally. Yeah, good point. Um, so I, yeah, the how slow is too slow thing I think is interesting. So I, I play a lot of two ball golf by on purpose because I think four is far too many. You spend far too long watching other people do it when all you want to be doing is getting on with your own golf um and when i play when we play old woodley if you um have a tea time in the middle of the afternoon there's no one else about you can comfortably play a medal round in in three hours um and that feels like the right amount of time for me like it's old woodley's about six and a half thousand sorry six seven off the white tees um bit less off the yellows obviously uh, and I think you can take your golf seriously at that pace and get on with it. Um, but I know that at a lot of clubs, like four and a half hour rounds on a Saturday, just what it is, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, definitely at peak times, and also, I mean, like late afternoon as well. For some reason, I find is particularly slow. 
Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's necessarily about people complaining about people being slow as much as people like to get into a rhythm. And when thing is stop start, you know, when you're stood on every fairway or you're waiting to hit into every green and then you're stuck on the tee, it's not so much that you feel like the game is going too slow. It's that you get out of your normal rhythm. And then I will say that that is an easy thing to then blame poor performance on. Well, I can't play very well because I couldn't get into my rhythm. I'm absolutely guilty of this one. You know, I, I do like to move serenely around a golf course. And when when there is like big holdups and sometimes they can just be for normal reasons, like someone's lost a ball. I mean, you're allowed three minutes to look for a ball. You know, but but holdups like that can be frustrating when you feel like you're you can't get into any flow. I think the, the uh, end of the day thing, a uh, busy course, it's a bit like uh, low cost airlines in it, like the last flight's always delayed. I think there's just a sort of build-up of issues throughout the day, isn't it? That means that the later you are, the slower it's going to be. Yeah, I mean, um, and it depends on the type of course you've got. I mean, like, I don't know how busy... I mean, your course will not be as busy as mine is in competition. It just won't. Um, but you have, for example, a very short par four second that people can drive. You know, at my former course at Sandburn Hall, see, I named it for you there, um we had we had a third hole where where longer hitters could hit round the corner it's basically a big dog leg left longer hitters could hit around the corner so early in the round there was the opportunity for traffic jams because of the layout of the golf course you know if you've got an early par three on a golf course you know it's it, it's a place where people naturally stop isn't it because they've got nowhere to go yeah which is why I think, so, I mean, we'll get on to this. It's why I think starting times, Tom, are massively important. Yeah, yeah. So we can we, we can get on to that. I'm just wondering if there's anything about the sort of general picture um, that we haven't covered. Like, you often see signage on golf courses, don't you, saying two hours, 20 minutes to this point and you are on pace that get, sort of give you an indication of where you should be. Yeah. Um, buggies at some venues bleep at you if you've dropped behind the... The recommended pace of play you smirking at <laughs> i just i i know i've that's happened yeah i've seen that happen um i mean you also get on scorecards don't you sometimes they put time pars on the scorecard telling you how long it should take you to get through each hole yeah but there's no i don't think there actually are there, there isn't any kind of like guidance is there from the rna of many ones saying this is how long golf should take for various different sizes of group Presumably there's too many variables. Yeah, well, yeah, because I think it largely depends, doesn't it, on the layout of a golf course, how long or how short it is, how tight the fairways are, how much rough there is. I mean, you know, it might take you much shorter to get round a pay-and-play course than it might an open championship course. Yeah, but that is not, that is the truth of it, but that is not how people's brain works, is it? They all just think that golf should take the amount of time they need it to on that particular occasion. This is the problem, isn't it? Is that people set out, they, they, they have structured, they've built their golf into their life and that means it's got to take this amount of time. Otherwise, it's a problem for them. So if you've allowed, if you've allowed five hours and it takes four hours, that's fine. But if you've only allowed three and a half, like I basically do, and it takes four, that's a disaster. Well, yeah. So a lot, of, a lot <laughs> of the grumbling is to do with the, the variable length that golf takes. And that is very much unique to our sport. Like you don't go and play football for your Saturday team and sometimes it takes three hours it always takes 90 minutes because that's how long football takes 
So it's very, it's difficult to plan for, I think, which is probably where quite a lot of the argument comes from. Perhaps we should plan for the worst case circumstance. Maybe the problem is with us because you've decided that it should take three and a half hours, which is fine for you, but it's but it's not taking anyone else's experience into account. Well, uh, yeah, perhaps, yeah. But I just think that there's a lot of argument about golf taking too long, which granted it does take too long and there are things you can do to nibble the time off it. I think but a, a bigger problem is the variable amount of time it takes. And if you can plan for the time, you can accommodate it into your diary, probably. Um, but the RNA have done, they have taken some steps to try and kind of reduce the amount of time we're all taking to play golf. Um, and they've done this, they did this a couple of years ago, right? Um, to try and um, try and speed speed things up a bit. Yeah, so there are a number of things that they did. Uh, ready golf is something that, I think almost everyone will have heard about. I think whether you do it or not, I'm going to generalise a little bit here, but I think when you, whether you do it or not depends on how long you've played golf. Largely, <laughs> I think that I think that well, I, I, that that's not a criticism. I mean, I I just think it's what people are used to. You know, if you've grown up with an honour system and you've played golf for 60 years and you've and you've waited for people to have the honour on the tee and then you wait religiously for for everyone to go to, to either find their ball or have their shot before you then play because it's your turn, um, then I think the principle of ready golf might be slightly confusing. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's like almost universally ignored as a thing. Um, yeah, I agree. I remember when it first came in, I was playing in a uh, uh, Yorkshire team champs thing at Oakdale um, and decided I would try and implement ready golf. People was looking looking at me like I got mad, um, and it was like it be, it became like genuinely dangerous to be honest with you because I was sort of walking ahead to go and hit my ball while people were still looking for their ball in the rough and there was like balls whistling past my head. Um, and I just I just in in the golf that I play with the people I play with, the honour is still respected almost almost completely. So so I've played in the other end of that. Um, at my previous club at Sandburn, where we basically just went on the tee when we went on the tee, you know, and and like the honour thing was a bit strange, and you'd almost you know you'd almost like laugh at the person who was causing a fuss because they'd had a birdie on the last hole and they wanted to take the first shot, and it's like well you're still fiddling around with your bag, just just get on with it. Um, so I so I think it it can be a cultural thing at clubs. I think I'm I'm generalising a bit there. Um, but I'm not sure. I'm not entirely sure that it speeds things up, because at least with the honour, then there is a way of proceeding. Like you know who's supposed to be going, and it's kind of it's on that person to try and get themselves ready as quickly as possible because they know they're going to be first on the next tee. With ready golf, it's kind of well, actually I might take a bit more time because I don't want to be ready first. Um, so I think. I think there's a I think there was something in the honour that it provided some structure. It's a bit like the flag in, flag out thing. I'm not sure that speeded things up either because at least before we knew what we were doing. We were asking whether people wanted it attended or not or wanted it in or out. And now we're like, we don't know what we don't know whether we're coming or going, do we? Yeah, but I think people also use that as an excuse. I mean, there are things you can do around ready golf, like I mean, like the principle of hit your ball before going and looking for someone else's ball is ready golf, right? 
but no one ever does it. They all go and chop round in a circle for three minutes while they try and look for someone's ball. And then if their other partners lost a ball, go and chop round in a circle for three minutes there. When actually, if the two of you hadn't lost your ball or just played their shots, it you You're would actually ca- found it. you'd catch up a little bit of time as well because then you you have to go and hit your shot and then the other person goes and hits their shot. So, you know, even even if you don't agree with the principle of ready golf in the sense of just go off the tee when it's when it's safe and convenient to do so or hit your shot when it's safe and convenient to do so there are still things i can use i think you can use in ready golf that will speed things along i mean i i, I laugh at like i laugh at things that i see you know that everyone everyone does a river dance around someone else's ball they all they all go from one ball to the next like a quartet um and they all stand over the ball i mean it's like texas scramble without it actually being a texas scramble well, apart from that's just people who are trying to be polite, isn't it? And sociable. Well, I think it's trying to be polite. And also, it's kind of like you you would, you want the same treatment back. So when you've lost your ball, a search party of four is much more helpful than a search party of one. Apart from a Yorkshire, of course, where you look for your own egg, don't you? I, I absolutely agree. But, um, yeah, if you've got multiple... I mean, you can see how the time can build up is what I'm getting to here, you know. I know, but this is but this the kind of starting point for this is that some people do not view it as a race, and if you don't view it as a race, and actually you're sort of your main aim is that everyone has a nice time, then your instinct will be, well, I'm going to go and help you look for your golf ball, playing yeah. companion. I, the, slightly related to this, not wholly related to this, but slightly related to this is the is the idea of the resistance of a lot of golfers now to letting groups through. I mean, that is definitely yeah. a thing now. I have definitely noticed that over the last sort of three or four years. It's now, you know, if if you get let through, it's a surprise now as it much is, as yeah. it is, as much as it used to be a right. And and they're things that, that can speed up play or, or at least speed up other groups and mean they're not beholden to you. It just drives me potty, that. Absolutely potty. Why you wouldn't do it? Like, as in... We've just talked about the reason that people look for their playing partner's balls is because they're being polite. Not letting people through is just ridiculously impolite, isn't it? It's basically saying your my day's more important than yours. The only huge row that I've ever had on a golf course, I mean huge, like almost to fisticuffs stage, was a, was around um, was around being let through. And there was a group in front of us, and they were toiling around in a penalty area and in some rough on the left. So they played us through, they waved us through. We hit our shots. It was all all right. We, then we got up there and they had obviously resolved their situation. And they just decided at that point that they would not let us through anymore and just hit off. So they just mm. like carried on the whole. I mean, I yeah, I mean, you've known me a long time. My, I'm not really a massive temper person, but my God, I was like ballistic that day. But it's 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 machismo, I suppose, isn't it? And a bit of embarrassment or whatever. Um, what golf course were you at that day that you're not telling us? I'm, no, I'm definitely not telling you that one. <laughs> um, so in the RNA's um, manual, pace of play manual, they have tried to kind of space people out, haven't they, by giving some guidance on starting times. I mean, it's, it's a document that is in tremendous detail. If no one's ever seen it, it's been out for a few years. You can still download it or you can view it on the RNA's website. I mean, it's 87 pages as a PDF. 
gone into huge detail about it. I mean, you know, everything from starting intervals that we're going to talk about in a second to obviously ready golf that we've discussed time pars, which are obviously like um, the number, the, the time it takes to play a hole, deterring slow play, incentivizing play at a good pace, you know, pace of play policies that, that clubs can bring in. It's absolutely tremendous piece of work. And it's really worth reading just to, to see how the governing body think about um I think about how you should speed up the game. But this this is going to excite some people, I think, um, because they talk about uh, starting intervals and how that affects the pace of play. So if you start, so basically, if you think about this very simply, if you're sending off four balls in eight minutes, you shouldn't be surprised if there's a bit of a jam, right? Um, so it says well, there have been many. Like, because eight minutes isn't long enough. Is that it's not saying? long enough. Yeah, it's not long enough. So they give an example, which is a really good one, which I think at its most basic level will demonstrate what happens here. So they, so think about this course. Course starts with two mid-length par fours, followed by mid-length par three. So players in three balls, the allotted time for completion of the hole is first hole in 12 minutes, second hole in 12 minutes, third hole in nine minutes. Committee has adopted eight minute starting times. So what it basically says is if all groups play the holes in the allotted time, by the time the second group reaches the third, it will wait for one minute on the third tee and the third group will wait for two minutes on the tee. And it just shows you how if you don't get your spacing right, you can start at a very early stage to get behind and get waiting. I think the, I think COVID did do some good here, actually, because uh, it introduced the principle of starting times a bit more commonly to people because they were forced, right? So a lot of clubs yeah, yeah. did like 10 or 12 minutes because you could only have a certain number of people on the golf course around the, leg, the legislation. And I do think some clubs have um, have kept that principle, but it's difficult for clubs, I think, because if you've got a very busy club uh, that has very busy competitions or you have a lot of visitors and you're trying to maximise either the number of tee times you can have for your competitions or you're trying to maximise the number of revenue. So from from that point of view, it, it makes or you would think it would make sense to send people off in the shortest interval possible because more tee times equals more money or more tee times equals more competitors. But if everyone's stuck around the golf course, it's like a false economy, isn't it? Yeah, they're going to be getting crossed. They'll end up leaving and going somewhere else. The the bigger thing I think with that is that how do you enforce it? Because I mean, if you're book, if I'm booked ten minutes after you, the truth of it is I'm going as soon as you, three hundred yards away, aren't I? But it's in the rules of golf. This is one of the rules of golf that everyone ignores. I mean, if you tee off before your starting time, you get penalised. It's a yeah. two shot. Pen- it's a two shot penalty. It is the most ignored rule in golf. Now it's difficult because it needs a starter to enforce. And who's got volunteers who are going to do that on an average club medal, right? But if you well, started pen- if you, if you started penalising golfers two shots because they've gone off two minutes early, you'd, it would soon stop. It would soon stop. And and you know for those clubs that yeah, I appreciate it's difficult, but for those clubs where you can see the first tee. It's not as difficult as, you know, my club, for example, at York, where the first tee is across the road from the clubhouse. You'd actually need someone physically standing there. But that's not the case in all clubs, is it? I mean, some clubs you can see the first tee from the pro shop or you can see it from the um, you can see it from the secretary's office. or you can see it. from. Now, I'm not here recommending that we should we should start like saying to golf club staff, here's loads more work for you. But if you start penalising one or two people for going off early, it'll soon stop. No one's doing that, are they? Because there'd just be absolute uproar. 
So at Woodley, but why? they Okay, sorry, Tom, just to interrupt. Why? Why would there be uproar? What is the difference between teeing off early? Take the rules of golf as a standard. What is the difference between teeing off early and dropping a ball out of your pocket in the rules of golf? What is the difference? In each case, you've broken a rule. Yeah, there's rules and there's rules, though, isn't there? Well, I'm a referee. There's not. There's rules. So, or Woodley, they say we don't have to start times, but what they do say is you have to let the first green clear before you tee off. So it's basically a whole hole um, between you and the group in front. Um, and that is just completely ignored and everyone just goes as soon as it's safe to drive. Everyone. Yeah. So the recommendation is that when players in two, po- two balls, an interval of at least eight minutes is recommended. When it's in three balls, it should be increased to 10 minutes. When players in four balls, 11 or 12 minute intervals wow. should be considered. Now, can you imagine a golf club in four balls doing 12 minute intervals in a competition? No. Maybe there are some out there that do it, but no, because what you're talking about, I mean, like, think about the number Five of players who can't. Hour. Yeah, think about the number of groups who can't play. To, to be fair to clubs, a lot of clubs do competitions in three balls, right? To try and to try and alleviate yeah. that. I don't think, you, I mean, maybe I can only talk from the golf clubs that I've been a member of, but none of them have done four ball competitions. They've been, unless it's like Texas Scramble, four ball, better ball, etc. You know, most metal Stableford competitions tend to be in three balls. But I mean, even then, 10 minutes, I think a lot of clubs would do eight. Yeah. And you're basically saying on that basis, on a, over an eight hour day of tea times, the difference between eight minutes, which would be a standard gap, wouldn't it? And a 12 minute gap is 80 golfers in four balls over the course of the day. There's a lot of people in it. Yeah. And if you've got like like we have at York, a minimum of 160 people playing in the competition each Saturday, sometimes going up yeah. to 200. Yeah. That's a lot of golfers who can't play. So I, yeah, I fully, I fully appreciate the pressures. It's, it's really, really difficult. But I mean, that is, but that is, that is an understanding thing. I think of golfers. I think that goes back to what I was saying at the start, is that this slow play thing, why does it matter? So if your choice is, okay, we can get you around the golf course quicker, but less of you'll be able to play, then people will soon start accepting it taking half an hour longer than they'd ideally want. Yeah. And, and, and there are things you can do still around this. I mean, you know, in the winter, I've talked on this podcast about how we do shotgun starts to, tr- to and we do a morning and afternoon shotgun start to try and get more people around the golf course when there's limited light. Really good idea um, on the on the professional tours. Two T starts are just a thing. They happen every week. Yeah. Right. And yeah. they have starting gaps in there in waves. And the idea of that is to get more people on the golf course and increase pace of play. Yeah. Yeah, we put um, gaps in the field in our top 100 tour to make sure we don't get jammed up at the back of the field. And it does work. But again, you are then compromising income by doing that. Yeah, it's 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 really, really tricky. But um, and, and I suppose as a golf club, you've got to look at. Um, is this enough of a significant problem? Am I being complained at by my mem by more enough of my members? for this to be an issue because golfers are not shy when it comes to moaning about golf taking too long now as you intimated earlier on in the podcast you know there are perceptions of what too long is and some people's too long is quite frankly just fine 
Um, but you know, if it's if it's a big problem for your golf club, if the secretary is completely or the manager's been completely bombarded with people saying this is taking too long, then there are things you can do about that. You know, you can say to if you can stop offenders booking in certain tee times. It's controversial, right? I'm sure they won't like it. But if you say if you've got a particularly offending group that everyone agrees is an offending group, you can say to them, right, you can't book in at this time unless you get quicker. Yeah, I think that is that is I don't know if this make it into that pace of play manual where the RNA was sort of saying, well, why don't you put the faster people off first? I think it has. And I, and that's why I think I'm remembering it, because I think it's in this document. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the one I really want to get into from that document is to do with fairway width and rough height. Yeah, controver- um, this is controversial as well, isn't it? It's it's common so sense, I- actually, but it is really common sense. But um, I mean, I, I'd like to introduce the argument. Um, so the, the pace of play guide uh, recommends certain actions to be taken on fairway width and rough height in order to try and uh, increase the pace of play. And I'll let Tom sort of talk about what some of them are and I can sort of chip in as well. But I think this goes back to also to golf course difficulty, you know, like players that won't go off the correct tees, for example, for their ability because they feel like they'd be not taking on the golf course at its full challenge. There's definitely, I mean, didn't like going back a few years, didn't a load of our lads go to like Dural and refuse to play and like play off the back tees, play the monster basically. And it, and they took about 10 million shots, didn't they? Because it was just, and they were all good players, but it was just too hard for them. And I do think there is a sense of that. You know, if, if you, if you go off tees that are too difficult, it's going to take longer because the challenge is too hard for you. And I think there's a little bit of that in fairway width and rough height as well in the perception of golfers. Well, I mean, this this is like absolutely my sweet spot in terms of getting triggered by stuff. So the RNA are absolutely right about this. Like this is this is to me the big difference, um, and it's the thing that would be the easiest almost to implement. Um, so golf is too hard, right? This is just a fact. Um, this is why the handicap system exists. This is why we have handicaps in the first place. Um, so why no one ever plays to them. Um, the whole sort of rhetoric about the game, everything surrounding the game makes this virtue of golf being difficult. Like if you if you um, read a course planner uh, describing the best holes at any given golf course, it doesn't say this hole's really easy it's going to be offers a really good chance for a birdie it says things like this treacherous par four is a card wrecker for many a golfer <laughs> uh, and we have there's this sort of the machismo surrounding golf where we want to make it sound like it's impossible we want to make it difficult um like our championships are held on the on the hardest golf courses i guess that's part of it um but for most of us, the game's just too difficult. And that is like one of the most significant reasons it takes too long. Um, and broadly speaking, the worse you are, the longer it takes. And if you're playing at um, a golf course that's too hard for you, which invariably we all are, then it takes even longer. So I think that within within all of that stuff that they've written there about um, paying off a tee that is um, commensurate with your ability, but also trying to soften golf courses to make them 
easier to play and make it easier to find your ball. 100% behind that. Like I just don't. And if you get if you go back to any of the um, the golden age architects, though, if you take Mackenzie for example, his whole thing was basically golf courses with no rough. Like the ball is supposed to run on the ground. You're not supposed to spend hours looking for your ball. You're supposed to be able to walk up, find it, and hit it again. And Augusta being the biggest example of that, where its original intention was that it was a, a golf course with, with no rough, basically. Um, but I think we've all got carried away with things like Carnasty and knee deep rough and pinched in fairways and open championship or US Open setups. Um, and it's just a nonsense, frankly. Yeah, everyone wanted to be a championship course for a while, didn't they? In the early start yeah. of the of the 2000s. I mean, interesting. I think one of Mackenzie's principles is that you shouldn't lose a golf ball. Um, but but just just going uh, into detail about some of these fairway width and rough height um, recommendations. So so a couple of things that they say are um, making it easier to play the ball onto the fairway by increasing fairway widths. I haven't really seen that at Riviera so far this week, have we? Um, ensuring where possible that players can carry any rough in front of the tee and reach the fairway. I mean, I can think about quite a lot, a number of very challenging courses, Woodall Spa being one where that's that's very difficult to do. Um, extending the width of the first cut of rough so that balls initially land on the fairway are less likely to run through the first cut into deeper rough and also generally reducing the severity of rough so that while it still provides a challenge, it's less likely to conceal a ball. Now, I think I wrote about this a couple of years ago when this pace of play document first landed and just watching golfers get triggered by the idea of re- reducing the severity of the rough as if it was sort of um, impugning their um, their abilities. And in the case of men, especially masculinity. I think that is, that is basically the size of it, isn't it? That like the, the re- yeah, it's 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 so wrapped up in not just accepting that you perhaps aren't quite as good as you think you are. Like we, we talked the other day, didn't we? We had this argument with a guy at my own golf club who was moaning about the fact we ch- chopped some trees down and he was trying to say that it made this particular hole too easy. And the bloke plays off 14. Like, so I there, think, there are no easy holes for this guy. I think I know which hole you're talking about and it's difficult enough. Thank you very much. Well, yeah, but like, and then, the the tea thing, as in the back playing off a tea that is, is the word commensurate, commensurate, commensurate. I'm nodding. Help me. Help I'm not like commensurate with its difficulty. Is that where you're going with it? Yeah. It's but the like, correct you word. So, you can sort of see why some people, if they if you if they've turned up to play the old course or they turned up to play an open venue, they want to play it off the tip so they're getting the experience that the pros are playing. But really, like, you just want to have a nice time, don't you? I do. I mean, I, I if you talk to me about the golf courses that I find most fun, North Berwick, um, short, lovely golf course, though. Um, yeah. Swinley Forest, short, brilliant golf course, lots of trees, not a lot of rough. Um, just, just, you know, like all the golf courses that I enjoy are all shorter, don't have a load of wispy, thick stuff um and uh, are easy to negotiate not easy to negotiate because the difficulty lies elsewhere maybe we'll talk about hull positions and speed of greens in a minute because that is a big part of pace of play as well um but the but the challenge 
is in the intricacy of the whole and not necessarily the obstacles and challenges that are in front of you. Yeah. Um, I think you should. I think we should talk about speed of greens because that is a huge factor. So when we have um, open qualifying at um, at Old Woodley, which we do every summer, the RNA say like, please, can you keep the greens at a particular speed because we don't get too fast because people will be out here all day. And that the speed, the recommended speed is not that fast. It's like nine or something. Yeah, pe people are really surprised because they think about Augusta. Um, well, the speed of the greens and the, the US Open in particular, well, the speed of the greens can be the speed of the greens at Augusta because there's no rough, essentially. Um, yeah. So you, ca you can you can spin some shots in there out of, uh, you know, off the fairway. I mean, they obviously do various things with the um, with the fairway in terms of growing. You know, a US Open often gets too far out of hand because the, the speed of the greens is too much. You think about that year at Shinnecock where it just got too hot on the Redan hole and no one could hold it. Again, at Shinnecock, again, when I went there in, I think it was 2018, and was it the 16th that basically went that year? I can't remember now. But anyway, Ian Poulter, yeah, yeah. Google Ian Poulter. He was complaining about it quite a bit, if I remember rightly. Um, so people are always surprised when I talk about the open. So the average speed of, of, of green at an open, I think, ranges from about 9.6 to 10.5 depending on how much wind they're expecting. And, and part of the reason for that is if you have the greens too quick on a seaside course and it's windy, can't play golf, can't keep them on. But yeah, I, I think there is, um, within club golf particularly, there is this kind of clamour for very quick greens. I know of some golf clubs that market themselves on the speed of their greens. You know, they're very proud of it. Now, well, if their course can handle that, then... So be it. But, you know, going back to I've, I've talked a lot about a former course of mine today, going back to a course like Sanburn Hall, you know, a lot of our a lot of those greens are like upturned mushrooms. You know, they're sort of like raised, curved. You, you can't have 13 on the stimp there. No one will hold it. Play for eight hours. We still no. be playing. But I think this all this all just speaks to this. We, we we kind of watch golf on TV. We watch Open Championships. We watch Major Championships. We watch Ryder Cups, and then we expect our golf course at home to be set up the same. Be that with knee deep rough or super fast greens or whatever else. Um, and it's just not how it should be because we're not playing golf for the same reason. When you play golf on a Saturday, they're not trying to dis decide the champion golf of the year. It's not supposed to be the most exacting setup of the of the pro tournament season it's just supposed to be you and your mates having a laugh and it's those two things get very very muddled up in golf i think i'd prefer a green to be true than fast yeah if i set it off on a line it stays on the line i mean the other yeah. thing and the, and the rna pace of play manual makes this pretty clear if you if you have a greens too quick you can't use certain pin positions so actually it disadvantages yeah. the course team in how they can set up the golf course because there are some pins that you just can't use if your greens are above a certain speed. Yeah. The RNA also uh, in their document pace of play manual, they also talk about um, the number of bunkers would sort of directly impact on pace of play. So it's almost advocating fewer bunkers, which is interesting. Well, well I um, personally, I'm in favour of fewer bunkers on a golf course, perhaps not for the pace of play reason, but just because it's more beneficial to golf course management if you have fewer bunkers i mean they're an absolute they're an absolute nightmare for teams because i mean if you can't get a machine into them for example you basically have to hand do them 
then half an hour after you've done them, someone's gone in there and tramped their feet all about, and it's like you've wasted your time. I mean, we could talk about, God, raking bunkers. There's another part of etiquette. Maybe we'll have another podcast on that. But yeah. they're very expensive. Um, and sand is in short supply at the moment. So, you know, for me, take them out. Yeah. Have have the bunkers that you need. But but you were talking about earlier about courses, or I was talking earlier about courses that pride themselves on, you know, the speed of their greens. There are courses out there that pride themselves on the number of bunkers they have. I mean, Lytham's had yeah, a reputation. Lytham's got a reputation for bunkers. Chart Hills used to be like that. I'm not sure if it's still the yeah, case, but still is. Yeah. The other thing, another thing they talk about is course routing. Um, and this I get this I think is very overlooked. Like, so in the olden days, courses were designed where tees were right next to greens, right? In fact, I think at the very beginning of golf, you you teed off literally a sort of prescribed distance from the previous hole, didn't you? Like it was a couple of yards away, basically. Mm. Um, and that is the very much the essence of St Andrews. And it's the essence of a lot of classical architecture is that the walks are short from green to tee. But obviously nowadays with the obsession with distance, everyone's put back tees in. So you have to walk back. 70 or 80 yards to get to the to the back tee and then 70 or 80 yards back again to get your bag before you before you're starting the journey up the next hole and that all adds up um, and again I think that comes back down to sort of just play off the forward tees like play off the tees that um, suit your ability because that that walking back to the the back tee adds so much time and there's just no point like the game's hard enough from the forward tees um, so I think that is definitely a thing that I would pick up on from from their document. Um, I uh, I tried to walk sawgrass, Tom. I tried to walk sawgrass. That was a mistake. Um, imagine yeah. if we tried to walk JCB. We just couldn't, <laughs> could you? You just couldn't. And and I think that that's a slightly different point because obviously you can buggy. I I mean I think buggies actually aren't don't speed up pace of play that much, but um, if at all actually. Um, but yeah, certainly the addition of back tees. I mean, there are some there are some championship courses, aren't there? Where if you want to play the back tee, you're basically going back a hundred yards, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I think of like the tenth at Troon. This this document is amazing, actually. So there's there's some stuff in here on um, not imitating elite golf. Have you read that bit? Go on, get into it. The floor is well, yours. It's basically saying like, don't. Be careful that you're not like marching out specific yardages. Don't be marking, lifting, and replacing a ball that's close to the hole before holding out. Um, don't be doing loads of practice swings. Don't be studying the line of putt from multiple angles. It's like pretty, it's pretty scathing stuff. Like stop aping the pros, basically. Um, well, I mean, so that, I've missed enough 18-inch putts in my time to know that you've got to give them due diligence. Oh, no, yeah. There's a whole thing on, have you ever been told you're a slow player? <laughs> like, if you've been told you're a slow player, you probably are. So you ought to try and do something about it. Is this this is this um, kind of like, are you an alcoholic? Like, yeah, a, check, a, like, that, like, yeah. like a checklist. It's a, a lot like that, yeah. Um, my point being that the, the thing is like a manual. So it's not just recommendations to golf clubs, it's recommendations to players. Um, there's a section on what you can do about where you put your bag or where you mark your scorecard or playing a provisional ball and I think those are the things as that as a sort of lifetime golfer really annoy you isn't it when 
a group's walking off a green and someone has to go to the wrong side to go and get their bag back or they stand on the green marking their card from the hole they've just played or they're back on the tee laughing because they've got to um, hit play of three off the tee because they failed to play a provisional. Um, but th- those are the things that irritate golfers, aren't they, about the group in front, really? Yeah, absolutely. And, and some of those are just um, being a bit more careful. And some of it yeah. is, I mean, I, I've been in situations where people have done it deliberately. Yeah. Um, but I, I just going back to that, how, have you been told you were a slow player? I just want to read this bit out for the for the podcast listeners because it's absolutely brilliant. It's hilarious. So uh, it's in a situation that Tom described there where if you've been told that you are a slow player, it probably means that you are. This is brilliant. This does not make you a bad person and does not give someone the right to be impolite towards you. However, it does suggest that you take immediate positive steps to do something about it so the same accusation is not made again you can do this by asking for advice from the players you play with on what it is that they believe causes you to be slow (laughs) can you imagine it why am i slow that's that's uh people always doing stuff like that aren't they (laughs) unbelievable i'm gonna make that into a t-shirt i think we should leave it there um, well, I mean, there's so much more we could discuss about slow play time, and I'm sure we will in in subsequent podcasts. I mean, like, I, I'm interested to hear from listeners, actually, about what they think um, makes slow play and what we can do about it. And maybe we can discuss that in a future podcast. We can get some of those um, comments together and talk about them. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, it's it's a topic close to a lot of people's hearts, isn't it? Um, so next week we will be getting around to doing our diversity and equal access to the t-sheet podcast so please do listen to that very interested in your opinions on slow play and do look out for uh this sort of output from steve's trip to england golf over the next few weeks where we'll be taking yet more of a look at whs bye steve cheers tom see you soon